This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now, remember Little Rocket Man? Remember Fire and Fury? That was President Donald Trump threatening North Korea back in 2017 as the North continued to test long-range missiles and in September of that year, a hydrogen bomb. And of course, it continued to threaten the United States in particular. So to cut a very long story short, the US led an international effort to tighten sanctions and isolate North Korea. But President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un met in Singapore in June 2018 again in Hanoi in February 2019, and yet again at the DMZ, the demilitarized zone which separates the two Koreas, in June. Now, all three occasions were high on optics, high in rhetoric, but rather low in substance. Now, since Singapore, North Korea has stopped nuclear and long-range missile tests, though it continues short and medium-range missile tests, and that is important because those threaten South Korea and Japan. And President Trump is not unduly perturbed by that. More recently, after a long stalemate punctuated, one should add, by apparently beautiful letters to President Trump from Chairman Kim, working level talks restarted in Stockholm but quickly fell apart. And now the North Korean side is back to decrying the attitude of the United States and, in fact, is handing its own deadline to the, to the United States, January 2020. Now, this is obviously hugely complex and a lot of history. And joining us to help unpack it and look at how this could unfold is Dr. Sung Yoon Lee, Professor in Korean Studies at the Fletcher School at Tufts University. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for making time to join us. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Now, US-North Korea negotiations on denuclearization, where are they heading? toward a bigger crisis eventually. But of course, the uh, placid atmosphere that we've seen since the beginning of 2018 uh, compared with 2017 on a very basic level is to be preferred to mutual threats, name calling, rocket man is on a suicide mission for himself and his regime, fire and fury, uh, the likes of which the world has never seen before mentally deranged American daughter, as the North Korean dictator called President Trump. But as George Bernard Shaw advises us, quote, the perfect love affair is that conducted entirely by post. Love letters are fine, but they met, you see, the two met now three times. And that illusion of reciprocity and warm, fuzzy feelings and camaraderie and denuclearization and trust I think that's been broken. It's been shattered. When one wonders why did Kim Jong-un dramatically change his tune from that of bellicosity, molto agitato of 2017, all of a sudden in January 2018 to placido, to andante, to uh, overtures, musical overtures, was it because he was cowered by President Trump's threats? That's the view that the administration in Washington takes. I beg to differ. Fire and fury, that threat was made on August 8th, 2017. Three weeks later, on the 29th of the same month, Kim Jong-un shot a missile over Japan and kindly, very kindly explained to everyone what uh, the intended target was, Japan, because that date, August 29th, is remembered by Koreans in the North and the South as National Humiliation Day, for it was on that date in 1910 that Japan colonized Korea. And as you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, just a few days later, on September 3rd, North Korea conducted the nation's most powerful nuclear test, 
a hydrogen uh-huh. bomb test. So it doesn't strike me as the behavior of frightened man. And then rocket man, that you know, threat was made at the UN General Assembly in mid-September. And as we know, in November, North Korea fired another intercontinental ballistic missile. So I would say all this outreach to the United States and South Korea and China and meeting with the Russian president and so forth, this dramatic image makeover that Kim Jong-un has effected was all pre-planned. It was almost pre-ordained. And it echoes very, very um, much what his father, Kim Jong-il, did from uh, 1994 when he inherited power upon the death of his own father, Kim Uh Il-sung, to his coming out in the year 2000, 2001, and so on. Now, given that North Korea is a de facto nuclear power, and that is unlikely to change, is it inevitable in time that Japan and South Korea will also decide to go nuclear? Well, I suppose, just as a a matter of logic, nothing is inevitable except for death and taxes. Um, I think it's a possibility, but one that is um, not in the near offing. Now, if North Korea were to become a more aggressive, a continual, credible, imminent threat, nuclear threat to the U.S. mainland, it is more likely than not that the United States would seriously consider and even perhaps act upon its very basic impulse to protect its own citizens before treaty allies like South Korea and Japan and downgrade its presence, its support for both nations, South Korea and Japan, by withdrawing uh, partially U.S. troops in South Korea first and perhaps also from Japan. That is what North Korea intends, seeks, by uh, engaging the United States after a period of provocations, uh, de-escalation and then return to negotiation and reconcessions with a fake peace overture. It's been a very lucrative, very successful business model for the North Korean regime over the past 30 years. And in that event, if the U.S. were to diminish its troop presence in the region, that would be a strong incentive for both South Korea and Japan to seriously consider going nuclear. Where does this leave China, all these developments? How does China see them? And where does this this leave China and the regional equation out there? Well, China is sitting pretty now. Uh, I would say since the mid-19th century, or certainly since 1895, when Chinese influence over the Korean Peninsula is eliminated uh, in war, in defeat against Japan in the first Sino-Japanese War of 1894 to 1895. Since then, uh, China has not really exercised its traditional um, preponderant influence over the Korean Peninsula until until in recent years, I would say, until um, uh, the end of the Cold War. Today, China, we know, enjoys great economic and political influence over not only North Korea, but South Korea as well. In South Korea, there are no organized anti-Chinese protests. The current South Korean administration uh, leans very closely towards China, is basically pro-China. So China has really nothing to be terribly concerned about either North Korea or South Korea. North Korea occasionally makes China look bad. Uh, China grows indignant when against Chinese um, admonition. North Korea goes ahead goes ahead and conducts a nuclear test or an ICBM test. But China can live with a North Korea that's totally depend on China for food and energy, 
uh, with armed with just a small arsenal of nuclear weapons. China is surrounded by Russia, India, Pakistan, with far bigger nuclear arsenals. Mm. Now, switching lanes slightly, you had mentioned the sort of bitter history between Japan and uh, Korea. Now, this has recently resurfaced between South Korea and Japan. They are squabbling. Is this significant? And how will this change the regional dynamic? Well, the current spat between Seoul and Tokyo um, is serious. Now, we see in South Korea this atavistic recurrence of politicization of the latent, the deep, anti-Japanese sentiment that Koreans feel. And this is most importantly, mostly the outcome of Japan's, in many ways, uniquely oppressive colonial rule over the Korean Peninsula, 1910 to 1945, and what Koreans, the vast majority of Koreans, view as Japan's uh, lack of real, genuine contrition, formal apology, acceptance of legal culpability, and so on, on various wow. war crimes, issues that would be considered today as crimes against humanity. It's true that every South Korean administration has resorted to uh, fanning the flames of anti-Japanese sentiment for political gain. We remember the Korean president in 2012, Lee Myung-bak, rode on a helicopter and visited Tokyo, which the Japanese call Takeshima, the contested island over which South Korea has administrative control. Uh, that was an unprecedented escalation as viewed by the Japanese. And under the previous South Korean administration, Park Geun-hye, for three years or so, uh, Park Geun-hye was quite adamant that she not meet with, not hold a summit with Prime Minister Abe uh, due to history issues. So mm -hmm. what we see today, you know, is not unique. It's not unprecedented. But I think uh, the deep rancor and ill feelings, mutual ill feelings today is in some ways unique. You said that we could be heading towards another crisis. Now, do you think another summit is, is going to take place between President Trump and uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un? I think so. I think both men see great utility in another showy summit pageant. President Trump, of course, could sell this as reaffirmation, uh, further advancement of the U.S. goal of denuclearizing North Korea. And that would come in very handy next year during his uh, campaign for re-election. And the North Korean leader with another handshake and smiles would not only further legitimate, soften up his image, as that of a responsible statesman with whom the world can engage. But Kim Jong-un would also be able to further trap, ensnare President Trump into this open-ended negotiation process. You know, never-ending talks, occasional talks marked by periods of friction and conflict, during which time Kim Jong-un does what he really wants to do, which is to further build a bomb to complete his own nuclear posture review so that he can become even a greater political factor, not only vis-a-vis -vis the U.S., but his neighbors. So Kim Jong-un has much to gain in the long term, far more to gain than Trump. But both uh -huh. men desire it, so it will probably happen. Okay, Dr. Lee, that was fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your thoughts with us. Thank you very much for having me. 
So here in the United States, the perception is that President Trump wants a more substantial deal that he can tout as a big win in his election campaign. But he could equally say, I adverted almost certain war. He already says that. I'm holding out for a real deal. I'm out there in the trenches. And his base will also be fine with that. We have to watch this very carefully because these are two nuclear powers and the relationship is volatile to say the least. Till next time, for Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh.